day and for a gorgeous time and thank you everybody for tuning in uh today will be like yesterday i have a lot of questions people people actually people have had, had a lot of questions and they sent them sent them into the show once again i'm going to try to answer some of them <laughs> not all of them um they're increasing 
by the number. Anyway, I hope everybody else out there uh, feeling great, feeling good, uh, standing on your pedestal saying that you're going to vote blue in this upcoming election. It's only a few weeks away. Uh, That's a good thing. That's a great thing. We have to try and uh, uh, make the world a better place. And one of the things uh, we need to do to make that to make the world a better place is to um, vote and vote blue. Get these rascals out of there. All right. The George Wilder doing the show is now. It, it feels so good outside, folks. It feels really, really good. And uh, I'm, I feel good being here also. It, it's, it's a great thrill for me to be doing this for this umpteenth year. And uh, it, it's great. It's great. Okay, let's get into the questions. Uh, there's a lot. So I'm just picking and choosing. Um, it says, what do you do on Facebook? He says, what do you do on Facebook? What does anybody do on Facebook? They post. uh, Another thing, I I think Facebook is, uh, I think it's liberal. I I think it's totally, totally liberal. I mean, people are saying that it's not. It's liberal. It's it's Democrats. It's it's liberal. And that's that's one of the uh, things that the Republicans, the, the conservatives don't like it. They don't like the fact that fo- Facebook is liberal. And uh, I think Donald Trump's son, I don't know which one it was. He has two sons or maybe three, four, five, six. But one of his older sons said that there should be a conservative Facebook. It proves right there when his knucklehead says that, that Facebook is liberal. It's it's dominantly liberal. I think the people at the top of Facebook are liberal also. Um, so uh, it's one-sided. <laughs> it's not bipartisan. It's one-sided. Uh, it's liberal. And I'm not saying that's a good thing because, you know, uh, conservatives, I mean, they use the word liberal like it's, it's manure. You know, I mean, they <laughs> like it's such an awful, awful term and liberals are such awful awful people conservatives do that but you don't hear many liberals really demeaning the word conservative or GOP the way conservatives and the GOP demean the word liberal I mean it's just tough uh, that they do that but anyway Facebook is generally uh, is, is liberal, okay? We all know that. Every now and then, there's a conservative or some nasty, crazy conservative trying to infiltrate <laughs> or trying to, you know, pretend like they're liberals and you know to try to fit in. But they're found out very, very quickly that they are not liberals. <laughs> we know that they're low-down Republicans trying to infiltrate uh, uh, and change the minds and change the votes of liberals who are steadfast on voting blue. There's no doubt about that. Okay, it says anything goes on the George Wilder Jr. show. Uh, uh, but these questions are going to be going going on, and I'm going to be uh, into them most of the day, mo- for most of the show, exact, act, actually. So uh, what do you do on Facebook? You know, what do you, I mean, you post. I mean, you interact with people. You get people to interact with you. I found out, I found when on Facebook, you know, it it takes a lot of time. It takes time for people to actually trust you, even if they're your friend. 
Uh, it takes time. It may take a year, two years, two years, and it takes uh, you actually uh, interacting on something uh, within Facebook. Uh, that's how I think you really get to know people and re- people really start to trust you. Not everybody's going to trust you. Uh, everybody should not trust you, you know, uh, because it's some really, really bad uh, hombres out there on Facebook and other uh, uh, social media and websites out there. So what do I do on Facebook? I post, I interact, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, when I first when I first, um, when I think about it, when I first, um, and this was years ago, when I first heard about Facebook and it actually became a member, I thought everybody on there was stupid. I, I actually thought everybody was just stupid because it seemed like people were, would respond to anything that was stupid. But if something was educational or intelligent, they would not respond to it, but post something really ignorant and stupid and dumb. Wow, you got a hundred people responding. <laughs> but if you post something that's intelligent, uh, that's that is true, uh, that is uh, educational, one or two people may respond, and that's it. You know, nobody likes it. But Facebook, I think, is fickle because people thinking that they use as if the when they click the like button, it, <laughs> it takes so much for them to do that. You know, it takes so much for them to do that. Uh, it's like a like clicking the like button is like casting a vote or something. You know, <laughs> you know. So they're very very uh, picky at what they click uh, like on. But you know, it's I think it's fun and I think it's a great place to meet people. Even though people still do not trust people, even if. Uh, you guys are friends and been friends for years because a lot of times uh, I, I think it's it, it, it's okay not to trust too many people on Facebook or any networking site. Um, you don't know the people, but you know I'm not saying everybody is bad or everybody's going to be bad. There's some great people on Facebook, beautiful people, wonderful people, um, people who lay around all day on their laptop or people who are in their car. Stuff, you know, on their phones and things and like that. You know, I just hate the fact that Facebook took away um, books and newspapers <laughs> and substituted them with a Kindle. Because you know what? You know, most people don't read. They do not read. They do not care about what you write because they're not reading it. I mean, you got some grade school kids who hate reading, you know, and they grow up to be a to be adults and they grow up to uh become adults who hate to read. But some some things we have to read though. I mean we have to there's no there's no getting around it. But as far as reading books and newspapers and poetry and stuff like that, people don't engage in that stuff anymore. You find a few diehards who still do uh love poetry essays, short stories, and you find a few people who still love that, who still feel that adrenaline for them, for that old-time storytelling, you know, instead of erotica and sex, and that's the thing. How many times can you actually write and talk about sex? There's a ton of books, I'm talking about trillions 
of books out there, porn, porn, P-O-R-N, porn, books out there. I mean, how how many ways can you write about having sex? Because that's all it is, devious sex. That's it. I mean, I read one of those uh, erotica books a few years ago, and I never picked it up again. I said, I don't need that. <laughs> you know, and some of those books, some of those erotica and sexual and porn, porn books can really teach you something, teach you things you didn't even know about sex. <laughs> I, I guess that's what people would want to know when they read that stuff, you know, and then go, uh, then go and jag off somewhere, you know. But uh, I, I read it. Um, I read erotica. Uh, I think I found it online somewhere. It was free, so or, or someone sent it to me, and uh, I, I didn't like it. I, I didn't like it. Um, however, my eyes was glued to what I was reading, but I knew that that, that wasn't what I wanted to do or what I wanted to read or what I wanted to bring into my home. But it's out there. I mean, you have, tr- I want to say millions, but there are trillions of books on erotica. I mean, you go on Facebook, there's a certain group or certain sites on Facebook where it's uh, pertinent to nothing but sex and erotica uh, I have a few groups on Facebook, and, and I have every now and then I have to go to my groups and just delete all of that garbage uh, that people post. Uh, most of it is deviant sex books and erotica. These old, these awful-looking photographs of people is sweating, and you know, you know what I'm talking about if you've seen that garbage. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. It is getting dark early, folks. Daylight saving time. Daylight saving time is here. And um, it is something we're going to have to deal with, you know. Uh, I hate it when it gets dark early. I mean, you're losing time in the day. You're losing daylight, uh, you know. But that's the way of the world, and that's what you have to deal with. I mean, coming along and... uh, we're going to deal with it. All right, you've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. Okay, we still have these um, pop-ups. It's one of the things about, one of the things about doing uh, internet radio, you, you're online. You really have to keep yourself abreast of virus software because anybody, it, as I was talking on the show yesterday, anybody, anytime can hack into your computer, see what you're doing. See what key you're stroking. This is real, especially with with Wi-Fi. This is so real. I remember a few years ago I, I was volunteering for to help the homeless, and a lot of the homeless people were were in this particular room, and in this particular room there were about ten computers, and there were uh, there were ten people sitting at each of these computers, but there was a back room uh, where I was sitting. And I could see everything that they were doing on that computer, on those computers out there. And it was scary. They didn't know I was looking at what they were doing. But that's the way it is with Wi-Fi. I mean, if I was on a computer out there with the rest of those folks and I knew somebody was in a back room somewhere looking at everything that I was doing, I'd be terrified. Totally terrified. Every keystroke, everything you do. I mean, if you're putting in your financial information in, into the computer, you know, everybody saw it. 
you know, every, even I saw it. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was totally blown over by that, but it's true. Uh, but I do believe that there somewhere along the line, there is secure Wi-Fi. You know, it, then you ask yourself, is anything secure? The hackers, if you think it's secure, the hackers will find a way to make it unsecure. Okay, is that, that, did that answer – sorry for stuttering. Did that answer your question? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I really do hope so. Uh, yeah, the George Wilder Jr. Show. Right back. All right, as usual, Donald Trump is unhinged about the investigation uh, that the special counsel has against them. Uh, so it's going to be in a series of tweets, and then Jerry Falwell Jr. is going to join in. But it does take an extra maniacal twist here. So first, he starts on whatever lunatic conspiracy he's on today. He starts with the big story that the fake news media refused to report is low-life Christopher Steele's many meetings with Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr and his beautiful wife, Nellie. Let's just pause. Why did he just mention the guy's wife and how attractive she is. <laughs> He's the president of the United States. That's, <laughs> I mean, we've gotten used to it, but could you imagine if Obama, in the middle of a tweet, was like, uh, look, I think what's happening here is uh, inefficacious. So that's the kind of words that Obama would use. Uh, by the way, uh, the guy I don't like, his wife is really hot. <laughs> what? Why would you say that out of nowhere? Right, anyway, it's Donald Trump. But let's get to the um, main event. So, Bunch of nonsense, conspiracy, lunatic things. Okay, I hate the FBI, I hate the rule of law, I hate law enforcement, I got it. But then here comes the interesting part. He says, at the uh, end of this series of two tweets, he says, I have never seen anything so rigged in my life. Our attorney general is scared stiff and missing in action. It is all starting to be revealed, not pretty, uh, witch hunt, etc., right? He just said that his own attorney general, of course, Jeff Sessions, is scared stiff and missing in action. Now, I know that he's attacked Jeff Sessions before, and I know that we've gotten used to a president attacking his own attorney general, which previously was maniacal, unheard of, unprecedented. If you don't like your attorney general, you would do that in private, and you might want to actually take some action and fire him if it was legitimate. The reason he's not firing him, because it would look political, because it is political, because he said it over and over again. It's about his, uh, the Attorney General letting uh, investigations of the President continue, which, by the way, is his job. I've got a million problems with Jeff Sessions. The only thing he's doing right is actually enforcing the law and letting the special counsel continue. But, I mean, it's just, okay, it's, but now he says that He's missing in action, and he's scared stiff. Okay, so if you don't know, by the way, one of the reasons that he's doing this, other than because he can't help himself, is that, um, and it's, it, like, he shouldn't do it as a matter of optics, because it looks like he's trying to do obstruction of justice, which is exactly what he's trying to do. But one of the reasons he's doing it is to try to drive Jeff Sessions out, make the job so intolerable that out of pride he quits, so then he could go, okay, great, now I'll put in Rudy Giuliani or whatever hack, to make sure that they fire the deputy attorney general that, and fire the special counsel, and then I'll go, oh, no, 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 we're just being fair and honest, right? And to his credit, Jeff Sessions won't quit. He's like, yeah, call me any name you like. I'm not quitting. Sad day for you. Okay, so God bless. I can't believe I'm about to say this, session, this sentence. 
God bless Jeff Sessions for that. I mean, these are crazy times. Jeff Sessions and I do not agree on anything. Okay, now, extra layer of crazy. Jerry Falwell Jr. comes in. These are the guys who pretend to care about uh, morality and Christianity. He's a so-called evangelical leader. Uh, of course, they care about no such thing. He's the guy who posed with Donald Trump in Donald Trump's office with a cover of the Playboy with Donald Trump's face on it right next to them in the picture. Uh, of course, you know all of Donald Trump's uh, immorality, and, and Falwell doesn't care and enthusiastically supports him. But now he comes in with this insane tweet. He says, are there any grown-ups with integrity left in the Department of Justice? Okay, good question. I mean, that the people enforcing the rule of law? Hold on, let's keep going. He said, when I was a kid, I watched Republicans join Democrats to force Nixon out. Okay, so far so good. Agreed. So I guess he's saying that the Republicans should do their job and, and their oath to the Constitution and make sure they enforce the rule of law, right? No. It then takes a turn. Now Democrats won't join Republicans to lock up Comey, Lynch, or Rosenstein, Strzok, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and maybe even Jeff Sessions, despite damning evidence. <laughs> the lunatics are running the asylum. This leader of the evangelical community is saying we should lock up former President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, and that the Democrats should join the Republicans in locking them up with actually no evidence at all. Nothing, based on absolutely nothing and that they should lock up rosenstein which is trump's deputy attorney general but then on top of that the cherry on top is now trump's friends and allies are saying we should imprison his own attorney general we can't get used to this this is this is insanity defined we have a president who is mentally unstable and a bunch of fascist allies who will do anything and, yes, literally lock up their political opponents and trample upon the rule of law and make sure that they are not investigated and that they will go to the opposite extreme, that not only do they stop their own investigation, but they start an investigation on their opponents, the people that were actually following the law in the first place, and even lock up their own attorney general because he won't do their political bidding for them. If you're Jeff Sessions, you're any of his former colleagues in the Senate, you're another Republican, are you sure they're not going to come for you one day? They will lock up anybody that stands in their path, and they don't care about the law. They don't care about loyalty. They don't care about
I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at Seventeen Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and The Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. <laughs> so my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families the last place we would want or expect to find violence, which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends, and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway, and he started chatting me up. He told me two things. One was that he, too, had just graduated from an Ivy League school and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny. And he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks and this wheat blonde hair, and he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning 
was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this, especially at the beginning, by idolizing me. We started dating, and he loved everything about me, that I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart. And he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, this, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. <laughs> so I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York and my, my dream job. But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed and I quit my job, and Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed. And the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day. 
Connor first physically attacked me five days before our wedding. It was 7 a.m. I still had on my nightgown. I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment, and I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream. And he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall. Five days later, the ten bruises on my neck had just faded, and I put on my mother's wedding dress, and I married him. Despite what had happened, I was sure we were going to live happily ever after, because I loved him, and he loved me so much. And he was very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me. It was an isolated incident, and he was never going to hurt me again. It happened twice more on the honeymoon. The first time, I was driving to find a secret beach, and I got lost. And he punched me in the side of my head so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic, and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that 15 million children are abused every year. 15 million. So actually, I was in very good company. Back to my question. Why did I stay? The answer is easy. I didn't know he was abusing me. Even though he held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview, I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was a very strong woman in love with a deeply troubled man, and I was the only person on earth who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks is, why doesn't she just leave? Why didn't I walk out? I could have left any time. To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask, because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser. Because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship, after she's gotten out, because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, even after the abuser remarries, denial of financial resources, and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. 
I realized that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying. As if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence, like me. Because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man. We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or, wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you, there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused, or who were abused as children, or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend right now. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here. Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene, de-escalate it, show victims a safe way out. Together, we can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you. Well, our traitorous simpleton president now says he meant to say the word wouldn't, not would. Let me explain why he is a lying garbage person. I am Jesse Dollimore with Statesmith.com. Before I break all this down, 
Let's speak plainly about one thing. If using the word would were a mistake, it wasn't. We clearly all watched it. But even if it were, changing a single word doesn't take away from the fact that Donald Trump has spent months upon months in a concerted effort, a calculated effort, to discredit his own Justice Department's investigation into the Russian interference with our democracy. He has dedicated months to maligning the many intelligence agencies of the United States who have all independently come to the very same conclusions. Russia is a hostile foreign power who engaged in an act of war by covertly conspiring to subvert our sacred election process. Having said that, the other day we were all witness to it. Donald Trump stood fewer than 150 miles from the Russian border and betrayed his country and its people in Helsinki. In a flagrant act of televised treason, he stood side by side with a murderous autocrat. We all heard Donald Trump say that he blames both sides. Sound familiar? Both sides are to blame. Meaning, Americans were hacked by Russia. Our elections were compromised by Russia. The United States democracy came under attack from Russia. And according to our traitor and simpleton president, we are to blame. They're all traitors. I hold uh, both countries responsible. I think that the United States has been foolish. I think we've all been foolish, and I think we're all uh, to blame. But uh, I do feel that uh, we have we're not the fucking blame. You're the blame. Some mistakes. I think that the the probe is a disaster for our country. I think it's kept us apart. It's kept us separated. Well, then Donald Trump was reminded by a reporter that while Vladimir Putin denies it, every single intelligence agency within Donald Trump's own country, as a reminder, that's the United States, has definitively concluded that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. And was asked simply and plainly, who do you believe, Donald Trump? Well, look, this is a binary choice. You either believe the U.S. intelligence community or you believe Putin. Trump failed to say he unequivocally believes the conclusions come to by the United States. In fact, he showered Putin with praise about the confidence he has in his denials. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. Uh, but I have, uh, I have confidence in both parties. So I have great confidence in my intelligence people. But uh, I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. All right, so let's break down this I meant wouldn't lie, not would. Trump said, quote, I have President Putin. He just said it's not Russia. I don't see any reason why it would be, but... I have confidence in both parties. About 45 seconds later, he says, quote, I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today, unquote. Let's talk about his use of the word but. Used the way Trump did, but is what's called a contrast transition, meaning a transition in a sentence to draw a distinction in separate thoughts, feelings, or ideas in the same sentence. For instance, 
if I was to say, I've always thought presidents were smart, but ever since Donald Trump was elected, I realize that's not always true. You see, the but in there sets you up to hear a contrasting statement or idea that doesn't necessarily line up with the original statement. You, you wouldn't say, oh, I love my mom and dad so much, but they were so loving and supportive my entire childhood. You wouldn't say that because it doesn't make sense. So let's read the sentence that Donald Trump now claims he meant to say. Quote, I have President Putin. He just said it's not Russia. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be, but I have confidence in both parties. Unquote. Any way you shake it, that does not make sense. Which equals out to, Donald Trump is not only a liar... He's also a traitor who stood there and promoted the interests and agenda of a hostile foreign nation. Look, ultimately, if Donald Trump really meant to correct the record, wouldn't he have gone further than just changing a word? Wouldn't he have said, I trust our country's intelligence agencies when they say Russia meddled in the election, and it needs to stop? Wouldn't he want to be like Putin, the man he admires so much, and be strong and powerful? rather than meek, mild, and vacillating like a cowering weakling. You see, indicating an incorrect minor word changes nothing, especially in light of everything that he's been saying and doing in support of the Russian agenda. In fact, Donald Trump came out today to call his critics victims of Trump derangement syndrome and carried even more water for Vladimir Putin by promoting the agenda of Russia again. When he assured everyone that Russia is absolutely not continuing their efforts to interfere in our future elections. When asked, he said no. No, they are not. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Brian, Thank, you. Thank you. Make your way out. Is Russia still targeting the U.S. Thank you very much. Let's go. Make your way out. Let's go. So Donald Trump says that he, quote-unquote, has great confidence in his intelligence people. Yeah. Well, I wonder what his intelligence people say about whether or not Russia is continuing their election meddling. Lucky enough, from just a couple days ago, I have a quote right here from Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats. He said, quote, The role of the intelligence community is to provide the best information and fact-based assessments possible for the president and policymakers. We have been clear in our assessments of Russian meddling in the 2016 election and their ongoing pervasive efforts to undermine our democracy. And we will continue to provide unvarnished and objective intelligence in support of our national security, unquote. What's the old adage? Your actions speak so loudly I cannot hear what you are saying. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. This morning, a friend of mine and fellow United States Marine Corps veteran said something that I think is simple yet profound, and I will leave you with his words. There should be nobody on the sidelines. Everything is at stake. Vote. People are fucking nuts. This country is full of nitwits and assholes. You ever notice that? Oh, my goodness, yes. Oh, my goodness, right. Yes. Nitwits, assholes, fuck-ups, scumbags, jerk-offs, and dipshits. 
and they all vote. They all vote. Yeah. In fact, sometimes you get the impression they're the only ones who vote. You can usually tell who's been doing the voting by looking at the fucking election returns. Man, it sure ain't me out there wasting my time with a meaningless activity like that. You know those people on the Jerry Springer show? Those are the average Americans. Oh, yeah, believe me, below average can't get on the show. Can't get on. Below average are sitting home watching that shit on TV. Getting ready to go out and vote. Filling out their sample ballot. People are fucking dumb. You can say what you want about this country, and I love this place. I love the freedoms we used to have. I love it. I love that. You know? I love it when it didn't take a fucking catastrophe to get us to care for one another. I love the fact that we're on camera all the time from all angles. But you know what? You can say what you want about America. And I say I love this place. I wouldn't have it any other way. wouldn't live in any other time in history in any other place. But say what you want about America. Land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers. You know? Yeah. Now, obviously, that doesn't include this audience. I understand that. You seem intelligent and perceptive, but the rest of them, holy jumping fucking shitballs. Dumber than a second coat of paint. And this ain't just ranting and raving. This ain't just blowing off steam. I got a little evidence to support my claim. It just seems to me, seems to me, that only a really low IQ population could have taken this beautiful continent this magnificent American landscape that we inherited. Well, actually, we stole it from the Mexicans and the Indians, but hey, it was nice when we stole it. It looked pretty good. It was pristine. Paradise. Have you seen it lately? Have you taken a good look at it lately? It's fucking embarrassing. Only a nation of unenlightened halfwits could have taken this beautiful place and turned it into what it is today, a shopping mall. A big fucking shopping mall. You know that? That's all you got. That's all you've got here, folks. Mile after mile of mall after mall. Many, many malls. Major malls and mini malls. They put the mini malls in between the major malls. And in between the mini malls, they put the mini marts. And in between the mini marts, you got the car lots, gas stations, muffler shops, laundromats, cheap hotels, fast food joints, strip clubs, and dirty bookstores. America the Beautiful, one big transcontinental commercial cesspool. And how do the people feel about all this? How do the people feel about living in a coast-to-coast -coast shopping mall? Well, they think it's just fucking dandy. They think it is cool as can be, because Americans love the mall. They love the mall. That's where they get to satisfy their two most prominent addictions at the same time, shopping and eating. Millions of semi-conscious Americans, day after day, shuffling through the malls, shopping and eating, especially eating. Americans love to eat. They are, they are fatally attracted to the slow death of fast food. Hot dogs, corn dogs, triple bacon, cheeseburgers, deep fried butter, dipping in pork fat and cheese whiz, mayonnaise soaked, barbecued mozzarella, patty melts. Americans will eat anything, anything, anything. If you were selling sautéed raccoons assholes on a stick... Americans would buy them and eat them, especially if you dipped them in butter and put a little salsa on them. This country is big time, pig time. Forget the bald eagle. You know what the national emblem of this country ought to be? A big bowl of macaroni and cheese. 
A big bowl, because everything in this country is king size. King size, extra large, and super jumbo. Especially the fucking people. Have you seen some of the people in this country? Have you taken a good look at some of these big, fat motherfuckers walking around? <laughs> big, fat motherfuckers. Oh, my God. Huge piles of redundant protoplasm lumbering through the malls like a fleet of interstate buses. The people in this country are immense, massive bellies, monstrous thighs, and big, fat fucking asses. And if you stand there for a minute and you look at one of them, you look at one of them, you, you, you begin to wonder, how does this woman take a shit? How does she shit? And even more frightening, how does she wipe her ass? Can she even locate her asshole? She must require assistance. Are paramedics trained in this field? And standing right next to her, of course, with a plate full of nachos and a mouthful of pie as her clueless fucking husband, Joe Sixpack. With his monstrous swollen beer belly hanging dangerously out over his belt, beer belt buckle, this guy ain't seen his dick since the Nixon administration. And if you stand there and you look at the two of them, you begin to wonder to yourself, do these people fuck? Is this man actually capable of fucking this woman? It doesn't seem structurally possible that these two people could achieve penetration. Maybe they're in that Cirque du Soleil or something. I'm telling you, the people in this country, are every, half, every one of them is 50 pounds overweight. They are gargantuan. And in the summertime, God help us, in the summertime, they all want to wear short pants. Jesus, Lord, protector of all that is good and holy, deliver me from fat people in short pants. They all got short pants, big bellies, fat thighs, and dumb kids. Short pants, big bellies, fat thighs, and dumb kids. Every one of them's got two dumbass kids with them. And the whole family is...
I'm Keith Olderman, and this is The Resistance. We have elected an idiot. For all the insanity and the stunning self-absorption and the bullying and the delusional view of America that would embarrass a high school dropout watching cartoons while strung out on meth, the much more existential threat from the Swiss cheese personality of Donald John Trump roared to the forefront over this weekend past. And that existential threat is simply this. In the complex international relations that, like it or not, keep the world from blowing itself up every afternoon. Trump has just proved he has no earthly clue what the fuck he is doing. <laughs> just since last Friday, Donald Trump has given aid and comfort to our Russian enemies who are aiming for nothing short of world prominence with the help of their jackass Trump. He has undermined this nation's status as the only enforcer left on the side of human rights. And he has screwed up, whether inadvertently or as reported Sunday night deliberately, nearly four decades of diplomacy, balanced on a razor's edge with China and Taiwan. And just as that China and Taiwan diplomacy began to stabilize, he went and screwed it up again. On Twitter. Good work, moron. You don't have to live next door to the United Nations to understand why talking to the president of Taiwan and making it public and referring to the close economic, political, and security ties between Taiwan and the United States just increase the chances that Trump will get some of us, including his supporters, killed. Since 1979, we have played a silly little childish game with mainland China. If we don't make a big deal about that island of Taiwan, if we don't call it a nation, if we recognize that psychologically Taiwan is to the Chinese, what communist Cuba has been to us since 1959, if our diplomats and presidents and dipshits elect like Donald Trump don't rub China's nose in it, the Chinese will not wipe the more or less democracy of Taiwan off the freaking map. It's that simple. The 1,350,000,000 mainland Chinese communists will not turn the 23.5 million Chinese on Taiwan into a parking lot. All we have to do is not do exactly what Donald Nitwit Trump did by saying what he did to the Taiwanese president last Friday. But of course he did it because he thinks he knows better than everybody else about the world when he doesn't know shit. And anyway, what's the fate of 23.5 million Chinese on Taiwan compared to what really matters? The president of Taiwan called me today to wish me congratulations on winning the presidency. Thank you. Interesting how the U.S. sells Taiwan billions of dollars of military equipment, but I should not accept a congratulatory call. Because clearly the point of an incoming presidential administration is to see how many leaders around the world call in to tell them how terrific he is. We now see, six weeks out from the inauguration, the outlines of the Trump Doctrine. Congratulate Trump! Sunday, a crowded elevator's worth of trumpets pushed a story in the Washington Post that this was all planned. It was a more robust defense of Taiwan, which is, of course, even dumber, especially if the idiot-elect has to publicly disguise his planned robustness as naivete, because, of course, he then gets mad when people call him naive, and so thus he doubles down on the whole thing Sunday night on Twitter. So now not only are the Chinese pissed off, not only is there help in whatever looms next for us in North Korea in jeopardy, and not only is an actual slow growth in the reliability of the relationship between our two countries at risk, but who benefits from uncertainty between the U.S. and China? We don't win from it. The Chinese don't win from it. In whose interest is the new confusion, the new setback, the new ass-hattery from Trump? Russia. Always Russia. Russia. And by the way, 
Guess what flooded out of a WikiLeaks dump Saturday that you probably didn't hear about? 90 gigabytes, 2,420 documents of intelligence related to Germany and the German President Angela Merkel ahead of Germany's upcoming elections. Germany, which since Trump's election by a minority of our voters has already taken our place as the leading democracy in the world and the only Western power able or willing to stand up against the passive-aggressive world war that Russia has been waging for several years, now with the aid and comfort of President-elect Donald Bumbling Amateur Putin Puppet Fucking Trump. And yes, I said Trump's election has already resulted in Germany taking our place as the leading democracy, the leading enforcer on the side of human rights in the world. And if these fiascos with China and Taiwan and WikiLeaks in Germany are not evidence enough, there was a third Trump diplomatic disaster that might actually have eclipsed the other two. Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte, the street thug who has had thousands of his citizens murdered by police and vigilantes without trial, or in many cases without even arrest, on the pretext of an anti-drug campaign. Duterte says he too got on the phone with Trump on Friday and that Trump endorsed the barbarism Duterte has unleashed. I could sense a good rapport, an animated president-elect Trump, and he was wishing me success in my campaign against the drug problem, Duterte said. He understood the way we are handling it. We are many things in this country, but we have never and must never stoop to murder disguised as law and order by a dictator who has compared his own actions to those of Adolf Hitler as if he were complimenting himself. Worst yet, Duterte said this buffoon Trump has invited him to visit New York and Washington, and bluntly, Rodrigo Duterte should not be admitted to this country even in a casket. But don't tell Trump that. He knows everything. If this is how this dense, pea-brained little man is going to run things, if this is how far in over his own fat orange head he's going to be internationally, if this is how he is going to strut as president, a triple-chinned bull in a nuclear china shop, he cannot be allowed to become president. Because after January 20th, if he decides to have a week of prioritizing receiving congratulations for his inaugural and tweeting out his petulance about Chinese taxes, if he can't manage to keep his fucking ego out of these opaque but essential balancing acts, the ones which stitch together the world as it is, he could get us all killed before his next appointment with whoever or whatever colors his goddamned hair. <laughs> Thank you.
someone sent uh, a, another question is for me to answer is how – no, I need my glasses. I'm, I'm looking at it wrong. <laughs> it's, have you experienced sexual harassment? Well, yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> it's not funny, but I, I guess I can include myself in part of that. You, too, have been uh, uh, a victim of sexual harassment, maybe once or twice, maybe three times, you know. Um, I, I was just like everybody else. I didn't – when I was first uh, – uh, for one thing, a lot of people are coming out saying they, they, they were victims of sexual harassment. You don't have to be a, a well-known person. You don't have to be famous to come out. A lot of people are who are just grassroots people, neighborhood people coming out and saying, yeah, I was a victim of sexual harassment. But it, it really seems weird for a guy to come out and say, hey, well, yeah, I was a victim of sexual harassment Seems because it seems as if it's the guys who are perpetrating the sexual harassment harassment on females and so it does seem weird but hey wow i was sexually harassed uh young when i was younger and i did not tell anybody about it i mean i i (laughs) i just knew i didn't like it i just knew it wasn't gonna happen again and that was it now i didn't i didn't tell my family about it i didn't tell my mother about it i didn't tell anybody about it especially i didn't really tell my family about it because i didn't think they gave a damn anyway so <laughs> at that time and at that point i don't think they gave a care for it but uh but i didn't tell anybody and i think there i mean there are times when i was walking to school grade school high school and i used to have these people following me in their cars uh that was a form of sexual harassment but it wasn't no, uh, you know, I, I was smart enough not to get in a car with anybody. And there was people offering when I was a kid, there was people, strangers coming up, offering me candy. And I thought I was smart enough to reject that. Because I think I heard in school that do not accept any candy or anything from strangers. And I did not. And I also heard when I was small in school, do not get in the car with anybody that you don't know, that you do not know. And I adhere to that, and I, and, and I, it never happened because uh, it was really true that people would – you'd be walking to school, somebody's – you know, somebody in a car driving up alongside of you, side of you every step of the way, beckoning you to get in the car. And I knew I was – and I knew that was wrong, and I knew I shouldn't do that, and I didn't do it. But it was so many people – there are so many people who – We'll get in the car with stranger, with strangers. But yeah, I have been sexual harassed, and you know, I mean, uh, it took a long time for me to talk about it. I didn't start talking about it or bringing it up until all of this shit, this other shit was going down with uh, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, and uh, a lot of uh, other people who in the media and who are not in the media who have been accused. Of sexual harassment, Bill Cosby, you know, Bill Cosby, Donald Trump, our president, you know, but he seems to get away with it. I don't think he's going to get away with much. Uh, But anyway, getting back to your question, have you experienced sexual harassment? Yeah, I think actually I do think that majority of the people in America at some point in their lives experience sexual harassment or sexual intercourse uh, 
at a very, very young age when they did not want to do that type of thing. Yeah. I've been uh, sexually harassed in the workplace by women. <laughs> and a lot of people, and when I say that to people, you know, they start knocking on me. You know, I say, hey, it's true. I'm just telling you the truth. These people who deny this, they want it to always be men who are, uh, are the provocators. And there are plenty of women who are provocators also. I mean, for example, you take some of these uh, sexual assaults in school. They're committed mostly by women teachers. I'm not to belittle not to belittle it any, but it's true. It's true. I mean, women can be just as big of sexual harassers as men. But I think the man is the man is stupid. I think for a man to sexually harass a woman or try to get in her uh, underwear, I think that's stupid, especially when she doesn't want it. I mean, when you're, I think when you're highly prestige, you're famous. You're able to get people on television and movies. I don't think you really have to harass any woman. She's going to – you're going to get it anyway. Why harass someone? Maybe maybe it's because they this certain type of woman that they want that they can't get. So they're going to offer her a part in a movie or a television show in order to get in her underwear. But think about this. Back in the 30s and the 40s, that's what it always was. They call it the um, casting couch. Majority of the women that you see in some of these movies from the 30s and the 40s, maybe even 50s, they got those parts because they gave out. That's what it was like in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. You want a part in a movie, you're a woman, you're going to have to put out. You're a beautiful woman. You're gonna, and a lot of women did because they wanted to be famous. They wanted attention. They wanted to be in a movie. They want to be on television. Say, hey, wow, come get you some. Put me in a movie. You know. But now it's a different time. It's a different time. It's a time to try to, uh, not to try, but to respect women. You know, if a woman, if a woman doesn't uh, say that she wants it, I mean, you should back off. And I don't think any man anywhere should put their hands on a woman, it, at least violently, okay? Violently. But you have so many uh, uh, who do that, put their hands on a woman violently. After they get through making love, they, 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 they treat them violently, beat them. I don't think that should be uh, a part of it. But sexual harassment, yes, I have been sexually harassed. I, I, and I should hope that doesn't come to a shock to anyone. Because I can, I can look out into the world and say, hey, wow, 80% of, of the population in some way and somehow been harassed. You can harass a person just by looking at them in a sexual manner. You don't even have to put your hands on them. You look at, you see a woman with a nice shape and you staring at her butt. That's, that's, um, that could be uh, construed as sexual harassment. Especially if she doesn't really, if, especially if she's feeling uncomfortable with your, with your stare. That can be construed as sexual harassment. 
You know, because uh, nowadays anything can be construed as sexual harassment. Touch a woman on her arm or something, that could be sexual harassment if she says it's sexual harassment. You ask a woman out, uh, she might construe that as sexual harassment because basically most women think when you're asking them out for the first time, you're actually asking to get into their underwear. And there's some of them get pissed off about that, and some of them laugh at it, and some of them will even admit it. You want to take me to bed? Is that it? You know, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have been sexually harassed, you know, but I don't live with it. I don't think about it constantly. It's just with this Me Too movement, I just felt I had to say something. With everyone else out there being female who are saying, that they were sexually harassed by some man, I have to come out and say, hey, wow, I've been sexually harassed by women. You know, and a lot of them would say, yeah, take that to be meaning something negative, and they will come back and say and get pissed off at me because I told the truth about my sexual harassment that happened, uh, happened to be the, cul- the culprit happened to be a woman. And they will get pissed at that because they want sexual harassment crimes to always be a man. And it's not always the man. But certain women want it, want it to be the man all the time being accused of it, not the woman. But you got some women out here who will tell you straight up, tell you straight out that, yes, women do sexually harass. And they do. And they know, and some of them know they do. Not all of them. I'm not putting every woman in a barrel of being sexual harassment. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of women out here who are not putting men in all in the same barrel as sexual harassers. There's some in every bunch, in every, you know, every walk of life. You know, it, it, being sexually harassed has been going on since the, the beginning of time. And it's going to be here until everything goes away. Uh, But, you know, it is wrong. It is wrong. If it's not consensual, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's really wrong. So, yes, I have been, I have experienced sexual harassment. I hope that answered your question. Uh, But it was when I was very, 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 very young. You know, even then I knew better because I, as I've just got to mention, I knew not to take candy from a stranger. I knew not to get into a car with a stranger. And and all of that happened. It happened. People tried to give me candy. I don't know you. People say, hey, beckon me to get in a car. I said, I can't do that. You know, I was, I was a pretty smart kid. And just about everything. However, there are a lot of people on here they're not that smart. Now you got some of these prostitutes, some of these hookers out here. I don't see how in the hell they can get in a car with a stranger. They can, or they can go meet up with somebody they don't even know to have sex with. This is the reason why a lot of them end up in a casket. You know, I don't see how they can, you got to have nerve to do that. That that's why a lot of them have some guy behind them, you know, uh, while they're having sex with a stranger, the guy is going to be there to protect them and make sure uh, they're not beaten uh, or stabbed or killed while having sex. But, you know, it, it's still wrong. 
it's still wrong. So, and you know what? As I'm speaking right now, there are uh, young people uh, being sexually harassed. Sexually harassed. As I'm speaking, as you're listening to the show, uh, there's people out there right now being sexually harassed, beaten to a pulp, uh, pimped out into the streets, prostitutes walking the streets, walking the back alleys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. The next thing you know, you hear sirens, someone has been killed, prostitute, or something has lost their lives getting in a car or meeting up with strangers to have sex so they so you know it happens it happens it's bad and uh, maybe we can do something about it to make the world a better place that that's why I mention it on my show um, yeah so so therefore I hope that answered your answered your question I'm pretty sure some of you out there as experienced some of the same things some of you have, may have not but um, this is, you know, I don't want to say it's part of life or it's a part of America. It's just something that has been going on since the beginning of time. All righty. And next question, what have you made of yourself? <laughs> I like these questions. It's, what have you made of yourself as if you haven't made anything? We may have to get to this one tomorrow because we're just about off the air. And, uh, yeah, I got all these questions sent in from people Um even some relatives sent in some some questions for me. Um, the, one of the reasons why I love doing these questions because I know that there's people out there listening to me, answering to them, answering the questions, or trying to answer them because they sent them in, right? <laughs> they sent them in. Sometimes they come in through inboxing on Facebook. They are come in through. I have two or three emails, and uh, people send them there have a phone. Sometimes people text them and I just write them all down and, you know, in, in a certain kind of an order. And I do plan on trying to, at least for the rest of the week, I think we're on, okay, maybe this week and some parts of next week, we'll be answering a lot more of these questions because I, I am just so thrilled <laughs> to be answering questions. Oh, wow. This is, this is something new. And this makes you want to keep on doing the show because you know there's people out there who really, really care about what you do. Even though I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other podcasts and internet radio shows out there who are, I, I you know, I don't call myself competing with a lot of other radio stations and podcasts out, podcasts out there on the internet. People just have to tune in to what they want to listen to and what they do not want to listen to. You know, uh, I don't. Uh, compare and um, compete with anybody. I've had other internet radio, radio shows, podcasts called or emailed me and asked me to be on their show to talk about some book or some story that I've written. Uh, I very seldom go on anybody's show, not because of their shows. I just something I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm too busy uh, to do that, but I know I have to make time for that. I think going on someone else's show is great. One of the things uh, guests want to know when he or she goes on to someone else's show, will there be anyone listening? <laughs> All right, ding, ding, ding. Will there be anyone di- listening? Okay. Um, okay. Stop it. All right. 
Okay, will there be anyone listening? More than likely, if someone asks you on their show, there they there will be there are people listening because, you know, um, or they're trying to get more people to listen in on their show because they are having interesting guests uh, on their show. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just about off the air, folks. It's been fun. It's been great. It is a late summer day. Actually, it's been two or three late summer days in the month of Ju- in the month of October. So we're having summer in October so far. I mean, tomorrow could be another story. Okay, <laughs> it could be something else. But right now, we're having. Um, summer, late summer in fall. It feels good. It feels great. It feels wonderful. People are out walking and talking and, and about uh, pretending like it's still summer, and it's not. And I want to say, I want to give my condolences and congratulations, not congratulations, what the hell am I talking about? I want to give my uh, sympath- sympathy, Oh, it's time for me to get off the show, folks. Something is wrong. Anyway, I, uh, I, what I'm trying to talk about is Hurricane Michael. Hurricane Michael, I want to say from the George Wilder Jr. Show, we are sending prayers. We are sending prayers. Hurricane Michael, I, I'm really not up on up on it all. I haven't been following it. That's why I'm stuttering. Um, uh, but I do know it's a dangerous hurricane. This one's name is Michael. Wow. You know, some people say, where the hell do they get all these names for these hurricanes? I guess they just pick them, out of, pick them, pick them up out of the phone book somewhere. <laughs> that, that's my thinking anyway. It, it has to, they have to have some sort of a name database where they can pick names for hurricanes <laughs> and throw them, out, throw them out to the public, you know. So anyway, we want to uh, give our thoughts and prayers to those people in the eye of that hurricane. Um, uh, we just had Florence, right? Yeah, yeah, we just had Florence now. It seems as though we're having um, Michael. Yeah, Michael, okay. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're just about out there. Excuse me. We're just about off the air, and we got a few seconds. I want to say have a good evening. Have a great uh, uh, weekend. Whenever you find yourself listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, have a great day. Have a great time. Have a great evening. Have a great weekend. Have a great morning, Whenever, wherever you find yourself listening. All right. I hope you join me tomorrow. Bye-bye.
from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 